Hey, how you doing? I'm Coach Dan. This is my Roller Derby podcast. Special emphasis on leadership in Roller Derby. Creating a better on and off the track experience for yourself and for your team. Everybody associated with your team. But especially your teammates. And if you're a coach, coaching Roller Derby teaching others the game and making the right calls yourself to promote a better team culture and build a better team. So today we're going to start with a little bit of storytelling because my team had a game this weekend, two days ago now, at the time that I'm recording this. So we'll tell that story, share that with you, and then we will talk a little bit about uh, some things that it's made me think of and uh, some things that you can apply to your league and what you're doing uh, as a coach or leader in your organization. So off with the story. This was to be the longest road trip to play a game in the history of my league. So right away, we had a new challenge. Six and a half hours, probably seven with some stops, and I'm factoring time that I had to travel to get to the meetup point. And that's just to get down there, going down there on bout day, so taking that ride, jumping out of the vehicle, going to play, and then the next morning driving back. I was really excited that this game was even accepted. Our roster was a little short, not terribly short, we had 12. Uh, But missing some key players, without a doubt, it was to be against a team we were not favored to beat. We were definitely expected to lose this game. So it showed, my team showed that they have a, a a, a competitive side and a mentally tough side to go play a game like that. And it did come with some opportunities. I think we were better than our WFTDA ranking was showing. So I think we had an opportunity to surprise some people and improve our position. But still, it would have been easy to say no, and our team said yes. So we accepted it just a few weeks ago, took the longest road trip we've ever taken, went down there, and played a game. Down to Indianapolis, Indiana. And my biggest concern, the thing that I thought about the most... I. And don't get me wrong, I'm a very competitive person. Winning the game is a lot to me. I it, At times in my career, it's been everything to me. Right now, I don't believe it is everything to me. Right now, I believe that the team and the progress that they make and what they learn from mistakes and defeats is what's important to me. So uh, for this game, I was particularly wondering, Just I, I knew that I could learn a lot about my team. We were going to all pack into a van. Uh, 10 of us would be in a van and four of us, there were 12 skaters and two coaches, would be in another vehicle with all the gear. And we would spend a lot of time together, a lot of time together. And it was going to be interesting to see if we would all hang together and possibly bond and grow closer, or if things that might frustrate or annoy us about each other could drive us apart. So I wanted to see what would happen there. It's not something I'd witnessed with this team yet. And remember, I just started coaching this team uh, in January. 
late January or early February, something like that. So on we took the trip. The trip down was pretty uneventful. We played the game. I think we played well. The mistakes were certainly made uh, for my part in particular, some things that I have to own, such as I don't think our preparation was all that it could have or should have been. But I don't regret most of my preparation because it did help the team and it will help the team further down the road to think more strategically. So I'm happy about that. I made some mistakes in the game that I knew when I was making them. I knew I was doing something wrong. That I think that the I think that what I can learn the most from that is that I need more sleep before a road trip, more so than before a typical game. I can usually stay up late. I usually don't sleep well the night before about. Maybe some of you can relate. I usually stay up pretty late the night before, and it's not a big deal. Uh, the adrenaline and kind of the just everything kicks together and it doesn't bother me. However, I found that the road, I found the road trip and being in the vehicle and driving uh, particularly exhausting. So I think I need a lot more sleep before in a wave out that is so far away. Because by the time I was at the game, I, I literally was so exhausted. I, I felt like I was watching myself do things instead of living in the moment. And uh, it only got me a few times. I'm making it sound worse than it is. There, there were at least four things I can think of that fatigue probably caused. I think I also did a lot of things well. So there were a lot of good decisions. We'll get to some of that. Uh, the game was very close. It was very competitive and exciting. At halftime, I believe we were down 7, 11, maybe something like that. Uh, in the second half, we actually got down by 50 points at one stretch but with two minutes to go we were down by 20 and uh had a shot to be in it the final score ended up being a 29 point differential in what was expected to be i think over 100 point differential so i'm very happy with the performance the team did stick together and they did play very hard and they did their best if we played that game if, if we played that game several times, this would have been one of our better performances, and I'm very happy with them. And yet there are things to work on. That's a good thing. One thing about close games is they will bring to light the things you need to work on more than blowouts in either direction. You get blown out by 500. I mean, what do we need to work on? Roller derby. You get blown out by... You blow out another team by 500. What do we need to work on? Um... Good questions. But close games and particularly close losses where people are replaying what went like tiny moments over and over or strategic moments, how they adapted to a situation. Those are what you can learn the most from. So I'm optimistic to go to practice and hear what people have to say. I've already talked to several players, of course, and to work on those things. Then uh, came the after party. And that that was really... That was pretty special to me. I'm going to be totally honest. Um, again, we only had two vehicles. We had 12 skaters and we had two coaches. So, and we were staying in a hotel. So it was a different dynamic than a home bout or an away bout that isn't far where you have your own transportation, where everybody, some people are going to go home and some people are going to stay and some people are going to do this and some people are going to do that. So we had the whole team, uh, all 12 skaters at the after party and two coaches. So all 14 of us at a table at the after party together. And we were all there the entire time together. And I don't remember the last time I've seen that, to be totally honest, um, from any team. Um, it's normal early in a league's existence. 
to have that kind of camaraderie and everybody in together all the time. And then it normally drifts apart. And to have a team that's been together, um, a, a league that's very much a mature league at this time, at this point, and to have us all at the after party, smiling, having fun, and stay, you know, together the whole time, and no groups broke off. We we went down to Indianapolis together. We went to the after party together. We went to the hotel together. Most of us stayed up even later than that, and then the next morning uh, we went home together, and it was it was just really fun. The group there were definitely shenanigans, <laughs> lots of shenanigans that I will not speak of here, but. Some people listening know of which I speak. We basically were old school roller derby deviants is, is what it was. Um, but I looked around and I saw people who were really happy. Uh, and that's after a loss. And that's after a long day. And that's really important. That's the kind of league culture I think we all want in on. Some of you are listening to this being like, I want that back. Some of you are listening to this being like, that sounds like my team and you're really happy. Some people are listening to this being like, man, I want to be a part of that. Um, and it it's not, I, I, I am 100% sure it doesn't happen by accident. It's not luck. It's something that you build and you work on. And that's what I want to get into here on this podcast more episode by episode. So um, really happy with just basically the way that our team handled ourselves uh, after the game, before the game. We stuck together. And I think we left Indiana a stronger team than we entered Indiana. And like I said, that was my big concern, is what was I going to learn about my team? Could we go down, play a really tough game, one that could potentially leave people sore and divisive and salty with each other coaching or anything like that? And then could we come back a stronger team? I think we did. Practice will Practice in time will tell, but I think that that mission was accomplished. I'm confident. So another interesting point about this, about this game that we played was our opponent, Circle City Roller Derby. It was their 10-year anniversary. 10 years as a league. And I, it, it got me thinking a lot about what you want 10 years of a league to do, accomplish, and build. And you wonder sometimes if the people who started the league in that very first team, what did they envision would happen? Were they thinking 10 years ahead of what their team would be and their, what their league would be? And is that what they have? When I've, As a leader in the organization, in any organization that you're in, one responsibility that falls on you that doesn't that specifically does not fall upon those who are not leaders is that you have to see the big picture. You have to be thinking about the greater the greater good for the team and the league. And just how big of a picture is that? Is that for the game? Most people don't see beyond the next game very often. Or even those who do don't see beyond the season very often, the next season. Most of the time, we're honest to God, just trying to make it. Most of us, nearly everybody who shows up and battles with you, is questioning how long they can do this for, how many more games are in this season, how they're going to get through the next game, and just making it work. A small handful are going to be the ones thinking that I'm never giving this up. Uh, those are very valuable, and of course, you hope to have them around, but it won't be most people. And if you are going to lead a group that is always trying to make it 
through their next game, through their next month, through their next season. You, somebody has to take the responsibility of seeing the big picture. And that is a big job. So how big is that big picture? In the spirit of our little, um, our 10-year theme, the 10-year anniversary of CCDG, we're going to talk about 10-year decisions. What kind of a team or league do you want to see 10 years from now? How do we build that in the present? I think we all want to be that team that 10 years from now can go play a tough road game, have a great time at the after party, all sit together, be happy, be smiling, look back on that, that adventure and call it a great time and say those were the days. I think we all want to be that. How do you build that practically, like one day, one moment, one decision at a time? I'm going to try to share a few things. Obviously, this is a huge subject. I could probably talk about this for hours. I don't want to take hours of your time today. So I think that my first, the first key is the players. You have to build it one player at a time. Every player has their own circumstances. We've said it before on this podcast. They are the hero of their own story. And you have to figure out if, how they can fit into this team dynamic, this thing that you're building uh, and where they'll, where they fit in for that. And if they have the heart and the effort and they're putting forth the effort, you can find a place for them. It's almost certain. There are only a very few number of people that you can't work with, but you have to take an interest in them. That's why I take, that's why I try to take every player who comes through that door and is putting in the time seriously. I try to figure out what they need what puts them in a position to succeed. I try to challenge my the other leaders, uh, the other coaches and captains to do the same, try to figure out where this player can be successful, what, what are they comfortable with, what are they uncomfortable with, who can they gel with, all these things. Because at the end, 10 years from now, the real question isn't about much other than the players. 10 years from now, what kind of a team did you have? We could talk about how much skill we have on the track right now, but 10 years from now, how many of those players are still involved in the league in some way? They probably won't be skating. The average life of a player, the average uh, track life of a player is not that long. Those who make it to 10 years, you look at them like, wow, how'd you do it? What? Are you serious? No way, right? Um, we've seen a lot of, uh, in the last few years, we've seen a lot of, famous uh, superstars of the game through go through that 10 year mark. And it always kind of reminds you like, no way, you know, Jackie Daniels has played 10 seasons. Oh my God. I remember when that happened. So 10 years from now, most of your players won't play. You have to know that. So picture, what are they doing? Sure. Some amount will move away. Some amount will leave. But what about those who are still there in your town, in your community? What goes through their mind when they see a sign driving down the road that Traverse City Roller Derby has a game this weekend? Do they want to go? It's a simple question. And it probably has a lot to do with things that maybe you think about and you probably, frankly, don't. It's going to be the impression they took with them when they left Roller Derby, what they got from it. Did they check a personal box of what they needed to do? 
or were they part of that community? Were they part of that family? The simple question of whether or not they want to go to a game that they no longer have an active role in will say a lot about what kind of a team and a league you have built. But what will say even more is what they do when they get there. Will they scream their hearts out for players that maybe they don't even currently have ties to anymore? People who wear the same color they wore back in the day, and that's really the only connection they have? Will they be cheering at the top of their lungs for those women? Or did they come to nitpick? Did they come to give like kind of sarcastic commentary to their other friend from back in the day about how much better they are, right? Did they come almost hoping to see players fail because they want to believe that that league can't do as well without them? And there's going to be a lot of in-between. There's plenty of people who are in-between. But if you want to avoid the latter, and if you want to have the former, as a coach and as a leader, you have to make 10-year decisions with your players to the best of your ability. It's a huge responsibility and it's a lot because the difference between the person who's cheering their head off and the person who's just there kind of in the back of their mind hoping to see failure is how they were treated and if they were ever truly part of a culture that they felt was crucial to them. And if that culture endured, you know, if that culture survived after they left. So one player at a time, let's circle back to that. We want this one player at a time. So there's a, I'm already making this coaching leadership responsibility sound huge. I'm going to make it sound huger. Everything you do or say at about can become the only thing that a player remembers about that game. It's true. Some of you are nodding your heads right now. Some players who have played for me are nodding their heads right now that the only thing they remember about such and such game was this time that Dan said this thing. That coach said this thing, and it was out of character, and perhaps it was um, not what you would be looking for from a leader in that moment. And that's what they remember. They remember this time I snapped over such and such. This time I went off on a ref over that. This time I went off on a player over this mistake. Things of that nature. All the hard work that goes into preparing for a game, all the practice, all the time, all the bout setup, and then you go out there and you play it and you give your all. And then years later, to have it boiled down to something that you said that was completely out of character, it's it's frustrating to even think about. It's disheartening for me to even consider. So reducing those moments, just squashing them and killing them every chance I get is very important to me. Um, I made a, one of those moments, and I'm not going to go into details about it here uh, out of respect to the player. Maybe they're listening. They know what I'm talking about. I, I, I fear I had one of those this weekend, and I'm definitely going to learn from it. It's not necessarily that I knew better. I don't think I'd ever coached a player, this player from that situation, and the reaction was unique, something I've never had from any other player. But uh, now I know, so I learned something. And I'm going to do better, and I'm going to do it by actually doing better, by showing up at practice and showing up at games and actually being better about how I coach this player. 
Now I'm going to share a success because it's important to know that things don't just go wrong uh, and to show you and to kind of give you an example of where things could go wrong. And I think I made them right. So official, like I, something happened on the other side of the track. Our jammer had had a very long jam, probably not the successful jam that she was looking for. It was a struggle. Um, one of those where the other team probably gets a few scoring passes before being forced to call it while our jammer has a hard time leaving the pack. Not jammer favorite, not smiling jammer. And there was a, there were some pileups and it was very physical and there weren't many penalties assessed. And I remember that. And then our jammer comes back to the bench, sits down and official review is called. I go to the middle. The other team is asking for an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on the jammer for cursing at one of their players. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like going through my head, and here's the insight. In my head, I am a very competitive person. And I'm the type of person who, for the most part, doesn't use profanity and doesn't need to use profanity. So specifically to me, this is the kind of mistake that seems very avoidable and does not seem like an intelligent mistake because I come from a place of privilege where I just don't have any habit of using profanity. Like my, from my viewpoint, this is one of those, why would you ever do that things that isn't the same when it comes to somebody who may be using profanity to express their frustration, and express themselves for most of their life without re repercussion. Anyway, I'm thinking, so while the refs are zebra huddling to figure out whether or not to assess this penalty and whether or not it is a penalty, there's a lot of things going through my mind because I need to go, thing number one, I need to go talk to my player. They need to be prepared. They might have to go serve a 30 second penalty after a jam they did not want to be, that they were probably not very excited about how it turned out. And then they would have to come out and jam again. So right now they need the right preparation from me because that's, they may have to go do this for the team and they will not be happy about it. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing on my mind. So I have from about the time I walk from the middle of the track back to the bench to figure out the right way to coach this player. I have to take into my head what I know about them and what I want to say to them and what I need to get across to them and what I can get across to them. Some players you cannot. So there are players in this world that I could sit down and have a straight conversation with and say, you can't swear anymore. You might get a penalty for it and you're probably going to have to serve this penalty. So you have to watch your mouth and they might just look at me and nod and do nothing. Probably not. <laughs> and they might handle it just fine. Uh, most people will not be that way. That is, that is weird. So in the time I'm walking back, I first have to quell, like, I first have to go through the things that are habitual, the things I most want to say, the things that, and, and quite honestly, the things I most want to say are, you can't take that risk. You are a, you know, you are, you're in a key position. You have to keep your head out there. You have to keep your cool. You really can't be doing this. And then you have to go to the, and if you get this penalty, you have to come out and you have to be really successful. Uh, I don't believe that this was a player where I have this relationship yet where we can do this type of coaching. This is a player who is still building confidence in herself, uh, a second year player. And I think that she definitely needs uh, this. And, and in a game like this, that was tough against a harder team. Like, I'm really proud that by the end of this game, she came out pleased with herself, pleased with how her game went. 
and pleased with her competitive spirit and the fight that she put up. And I'm very pleased with those things too. She has a world of potential and talent and keeping her head in the game and letting her know that we support her and believe in her, I think is going to be very important. So if I go back to the bench and I kneel in front of her and say, why, hey, you swore at them. You might have to serve a penalty now. Get yourself ready for that. Make sure that she has a star in her hand and be like, don't swear anymore. You know, it, it, I could easily make a comment here that would absolutely be the only thing she remembered from this game. The rest of her career, that would be the game where Dan scolded her for using bad language. So of all the things that went through my head, I came up with what I thought was a good one. And I came and I kneeled in front of the player and I looked at her and I gave my most amused smile that I could find. I think it was a very amused smile. And I said, what did you say to them? They're really mad. <laughs> and she said back to me, they weren't getting off me. So I told them to get the F off. And I could tell from her eyes and her spirit that she felt totally justified in her comment. And I can't say I may not have said the same thing in such a situation with huge big bodies on me not getting up and I am the jammer and I have to perform for my team. I might have let a few choice words slip myself. So when I hear that and I look at a player, now is not the time to coach that player to never use profanity in a game. Now is not the time to have a coaching moment about what they need to do differently. So I looked at that player and I said, you tell them. They're really mad about it. I think it's funny. I'm proud of you. They, you might get a penalty, so hold this star. If you have to go to the box, come out and tear them apart. And she just looked at back, back at me like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Turned out in the official review, for those of you who really want the whole story, the, the officials did not hear it. And the skater uh, was not issued a penalty. I gave a thumbs up to the bench. We went forth with our plan. I believe our next jam was a decent one. Um, for those of you wondering about the rules of this uh, and kind of the history I'm not sure about the rules of hearing cursing from player to player and unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. That's something to look up or ask your refs about how they feel about that. I know some refs have a zero tolerance policy. It turns out that this league um, that we were playing against has a zero tolerance policy at practice uh, that they do not allow cursing between their players. So it might have, it, it, it is more explainable for any of you out there judging being like they should have thicker skin. It, it Hopefully that gives you some perspective of why they would be so upset uh, for, from that situation. But let's focus on the big picture. What was the 10-year decision? I think the right-then decision might have been to tell them that they can't swear anymore to scold a player. I, I mean, I know some coaches would immediately go to that. I think the 10-year decision is to show that you support your player, hear their side of the story, all right? Anytime that you hear something about one of your players from any source outside the team, any source outside the team, and probably for sources inside the team, but I can say for certain from a ref, if you hear it from a ref, if you hear it from the other team, from their bench, from their managers, if you hear it during an official review, if you hear it from a fan, I don't care. Anytime it's from anybody outside your unit, don't automatically, even if you believe it's something that could be true, don't assume it to be true. Get your player's side of the story. And make a judgment about whether or not this is something you need to coach or just something that happened. All right. That's my best advice from that story. The 10-year decision in that moment was to show that I supported my skater and that I believed in her. 
not to have a coaching moment. And it's important to know and to try to feel when those come up and when they don't. It's my hope that 10 years from now, that game will not be the game where Dan like scolded her about cursing to another player. There's so many other great things that happen in that game and on that trip to remember that I think that there will be fond memories on the way home. And I hope that 10 years from now, when that skater is driving down the road and sees a sign that there's about this weekend, I hope that she thinks of that trip, of the great moments from that game, from that after party, and from the family that she was a part of. And I hope she thinks those were great days. I can't wait to take my daughter to see this game. We're going to scream our hearts out. All right. On that note, I'm going to call it for today. Thanks for listening. And I will see you on the track. Hey there, friends. Want to know how you can support the Power Through the Fourth Whistle Roller Derby podcast and look super cool doing it? Our store has a bunch of roller derby designs that can be put on all kinds of super soft, high quality t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, hoodies, notebooks, mugs, stickers, blankets, and more at Threadless. Whether you love cartoon animals on roller skates, like our Apex Predator T-Rex or Jam-A-Llama, to messages like Roller Derby Strong and My Mom Plays Roller Derby, there's really something for everybody. Visit powerforthwhistle.threadless.com. That's P-O-W-E-R, the number four, T-H-W-H-I-S-T-L-E dot threadless.com. Thank you for your support and back to our show.